You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Uh, my name is Rick Brown, and I'm uh, really uh, blessed and fortunate to be with you all today. As uh, Bob mentioned last week, I'm not a pastor. I'm not someone earlier was like, hey, Pastor Rick. No, not me. Um, I'm just Rick. I go here. I'm a guy who's gone here for about 10 years with my family. Uh, very just fortunate to call Sun Grove my home, like so many of you. Um, for all of you at second service, we normally sit in the back and kind of hide out back there. Can't hide as much up here. Um, but when uh, Pastor Dave asked me to speak, I was thinking, me? <laughs> I'm kind of a mess. I don't know if that's a great idea. Uh, but in my weakness, uh, I, I do know that God is great. And uh, it's my privilege to jump into the Word with you this morning. Uh, so if you will, open with me um, in your Bibles to the, the book of Luke, chapter 15. As you know, we're, uh, we're going through the book of Luke as a church and uh, doing parts on Sundays and the remainder throughout the week with our, um, with our small groups. So in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So if you would, I'd like to pray before we get started. Father God, we are so uh, just blessed to be in your presence. We're blessed by worship. We're blessed by time with you. We're blessed in fellowship and in prayer. And we're here to hear you. We know your word is alive. It's true. It cuts deep within us. It finds our sins our weights, our hidden things, our cancers, and offers to remove them and heal us and replenish us with strength. So we ask now that you would join us here, that your spirit would come and have your way with us, that you'd light up our darkness, fill us with light, and speak to us and soften our hearts to hear you. We pray for this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So this passage is kind of an interesting scene. There's a lot of people around. A lot of people here today, right? Look around, there's a bunch of people that showed up, right? It's a bunch of people that would show up to see Jesus. You got uh, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, the disciples. Basically, when Jesus works, when he's doing things, there's usually a crowd, right? There's going to be people around. They're going to kind of check it out, flock to it, see what's going on, right? It's the same today. So in this group of people, there's some that are there that want to hear Jesus, right? 
They want to know what he has to say. There's some that are there just simply to worship him. They've recognized that Jesus is God, that he's the Messiah, and they want to bow down and be a part of it. And they want to be close to him. You got other people at the party that are there to judge him. And they don't just want to judge him. They want to judge everybody around him. And I would say that today it's no different. So who are these people that hated those lost people? What were their motivations? Why were they there? The Pharisees were the religious ones, right? They were the ones that knew all the rules. They were good. They were up above everybody else. They were known in the community. And they hated these sinners, these tax collectors, the dirty ones, the outcasts. So I'm going to imagine for a moment that there's maybe one person in your life that isn't your favorite. Anyone think of that person? Some of my friends in the audience were like pointing at me. It's you. Um, there's one person maybe that you wouldn't want to be around. Imagine that you showed up to Jesus' party and there they were. They were at the feet of Jesus. You go, oh, that guy? <laughs> Got to be around that guy, that girl? The Pharisees looked at these people like, who allowed these people into the room? They wouldn't want to share their time in this religious setting with those people. Lots of motivations. Why are we here? Is this our social hour? Social, right? It's fun. It's great music. But why are we here? Is it for a positive experience? Or is it to hear and respond to the Lord? I'd ask you, why are you here? You may have come in a group. Someone might have invited you. Why'd you show up? In the church, sometimes, I think we forget our place. We think we have it all together, right? That we're not like those other people, those messy people. Instead, we often resemble not the messy people, but the religious people, the most religious people, the best in the Bible, the Pharisees, right? They were the ones that knew all the stuff back here, right? Go in your Bible, you go to like the first two-thirds of it, they knew all that. In fact, they knew it so well that they added more rules to get it just right so they could be extra good, so they could show off how great they were in the community. They weren't going to work on Sundays. They weren't even going to walk too far on Sundays, right? Or Saturdays, I should say, the Sabbath. They got all the rules just down, just right. And I would suggest that sometimes in the church, we look like those guys and not like the lost people at Jesus' feet. You see, the Old Testament, those old rules were not designed to show us how great we were, to show us how perfect we were. In fact, they were there and designed to show us that we needed a Savior. If you'll actually turn with me, and I'm going to go out of order so the guys in the back are going to hate me. But uh, in the book of Romans, Paul talks about this a little bit. In chapter 3, 
He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already been made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. As it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one, think about this in the context of the Pharisees, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the laws. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So these guys were very proud. So proud, right? They had it all together. They knew the rules. They added rules. They were just the best of the best. And they look and they see these other people, the outside people. And what was welling up inside of them? Was it love? Were they welling up with compassion? Were they feeling for these people? Did they want to help these people? I would say the thing that was inside of them was a little thing that's a little deceptive, can creep inside of us in simple ways, and it's called pride, right? Anyone remember the sin that led Satan away from the presence of God? Pride. The Pharisees were full of pride. The Bible says in the book of James that God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. He resists the proud. So today, where you're sitting, I would ask you this. Are you proud? Do you feel like you're doing a pretty good job on your own? Paul talks about in the New Testament, says, do you think you made it? You've attained? He says, of course not. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. He actually says it's a saying worthy of everyone to use, that you're the chief of all sinners. So if we're honest with ourselves, apart from the holy and perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the sins of just one of our days would completely destroy us and destine us for eternity of hell. Because the reality is that we are a mess. We're imperfect. We're weak and we're flawed. But proud people, proud people, just like the Pharisees, are quick to see the sins, not in themselves, but in everyone else. They even place guilt upon Jesus because he's around those people, right? They would always slander him. Oh, he hangs around with tax collectors. He hangs around with prostitutes. This guy's a mess. They drink wine around him. They put guilt on Jesus because they're disgusted that he receives the outsiders. It's interesting that the same scene is actually recorded for us in the book of Matthew. But Matthew precedes this passage with Jesus' words saying this. I want you to hear this. Take heed that you do not despise or look down on these little ones, speaking about the tax collectors and sinners. He even continues on to say that the angels who are always in view of the Father are there to watch over the young believers. 
You see, the angels, Jesus himself, the Father in heaven, are all there to tend to, to protect, and to build up these young believers, this young flock and the outsiders. So who are the outsiders? It's tax collectors, sinners. The tax collectors would have known their place, right? They would have known how the community felt about them. They were hated. They were traitors. They had chosen Rome and making money over their people. And so they would have been overjoyed at the welcome of Jesus. They would have been so thrilled that someone wanted them, right? These are not people that you invited over to dinner. They weren't like, oh, after church, let's go hang out. Nope, not these guys. You'd be like, oh, hey, how you doing? Keep walking, right? They knew their place, and they would have been stoked, super pumped to be welcomed by Jesus. So I got to ask you, are you? Do you run to the table of the Lord wanting to be in his presence, to hear him speak, to worship him, to adore him? Is that where your heart's at? You see, the Bible says that God doesn't look at what's on the outside. He doesn't really care what you're wearing today. That's not what he's about. He does care what's going on on the inside with you, with your heart, if you've surrendered to him, if you've given yourself to him, or if you just sort of like, I, I think I got it together. I'm taking care of myself. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to get too deep in this. A couple different types of people at this group. See, Jesus came to seek and save sinners. And the Bible is very clear about knowing our condition. So if you're here today and you're kind of like, I don't what's this guy talking about? I want Dave to come back. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> you think you're doing pretty good. You're a good person. You're doing fine. You don't really need this. Then I don't think you get it. you look at that passage on your notes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, this is in the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes I think this passage gets sort of misunderstood as just sort of poor people. But the idea of this is that you would be so poor and so destitute that you would need entire and complete utter dependence on others just to survive just to get by. You would need other people's help just to make it. And so he puts it in the context of spiritually that you would understand spiritually that you don't have it on your own. You are in complete need, utter need spiritually for the Lord. Jesus says, those are the people, the people that get that, those are the people that have a place in my kingdom. You Pharisees that got it together, you know what you're doing, you don't get it. No thank you. He kind of refers to those as the other 99 sheep back at the ranch, the other coins. You see, God's interested in bringing sinners to repentance, right? Sinners, not the ones that got it together. We have a look at this video. That's a child. That's a child. That's a child. <sighs> Lord, I love you. Thank you. She was calm. She was relieved. Uh, uh, she saw someone. I think she knew that someone was there to take care of her. Five, 
Tired of having been in the woods for 18 hours there. And I'm just glad that she was okay and we found her in the condition that we did. She just acted like a two-year-old child once she was found. You know, she just wanted somebody to pick her up and hold her. That video is a young girl named Kamaya Vicks, and she was lost out in the woods out in Georgia. It was just under 100 degrees, super humid. She'd been gone for like 18 hours. And they did a full manhunt looking for this girl. There's all kinds of streams, all kinds of animals, rattlesnakes out in those woods. And uh, she just needed help. She needed someone to come rescue her. You see, to come to Christ, we first need to recognize that we are a mess. We need him desperately. We're lost. And if that hasn't sunk in, then maybe we don't know what the Bible says. Why do we need Jesus? Why do we know that? Because we're sinners, right? Everyone say, hey, uh, sinners need Jesus, right? It's kind of cliche. But think back to Jesus explaining the heart of the commandments. Not just the letter of the law, but the underlying issues of the heart. So back in the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to take a bunch of the commandments and extrapolate them further as to what's happening inside of us. So he talks about murder, right? Everyone knows, thou shalt not murder. But he stresses that even though uh, you might not have murdered somebody, if you're angry, you might be guilty of hellfire. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Speaking about adultery, he says, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Check the heart part. About our word, he says about oaths, all you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Right? I swear, I swear. I swear on everything. I swear on heaven and earth. I swear on the Bible. He says, anything beyond yes or no is evil. He can go on and on. If we went through all the, all the commandments, we would find lots of ways where our heart gets it wrong, right? Because we're messed up. We need help. We're not perfect. Only God can save us. That's what he wants more than anything. You imagine that night, those cadets who found Kamaya, two years old, they're running around. Everyone stopped what they were doing. They were in class. They got pulled from class. Let's go find this girl. Everyone goes running off into the woods to find her. Stop what you're doing. Go find her. They find her out there in the heat all alone, scared. Was she in a condition to save herself? <laughs> was she going to cruise on in? Hey, I was out in the woods. I learned some things. I'm back. She's, she's, she's in trouble, right? She wasn't going to last very long. 
but they found her. Only God can save us. And can you imagine if she never cried out? They ran through, no one saw her. They heard her. She cried out. She knew she, knew she needed help. I love the words that he says in that video when he first finds her. He says, Lord, I love you. Thank you. What won't God do to save you? What won't he give up to search for you? You know, he literally gave his only son for you. Hmm, There's my family again. So you see that big smile on that boy on the right? That's my son, Jackson. If you were in trouble, and I love this church. I love this church. I love the people here. If you were in trouble and the job was give up Jackson and you can save this person, I'm going to be sad to, to see those people go. <laughs> Not one of you <laughs> has gotten my blessing for sacrificing my son. No chance. Not one of you. Nothing in this world. None of them. I wouldn't give up any of them for you guys. And I love you people, but not, not as much as I love them. But God did that. He did it for me. He gave up everything for me. Every possible sacrifice to seek and save the lost had, the, the father had to abandon his own son. I'm going to remind you, there's one route to heaven. Just one. Only one is through Jesus. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Okay? There's no other route. If you think, oh, I got this thing worked out, I got my own agreement with God, we have an understanding, you don't. I'm just going to tell you the truth. You don't. And that's not my words, that's Jesus' words. The book of Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, and the end thereof is death. God gave his son for the lost, for the messed up, for the messy, for the tax collector, the sinner, the prostitute. He gave up his son. He allowed his son to be homeless. He allowed his son to be hated. He allowed his son to be mocked, to be slandered. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was beaten, tortured. He was falsely accused. He was stripped naked, humiliated. They played games to see who got to take his clothes. They gave him vinegar for water. They shoved a crown of thorns into his head. The Bible says that you couldn't even recognize him as a man on the cross. Would you, would you do that to your son for me? I would not do that to my son for you. Jesus was made lost and abandoned so that God could rescue all of us losers. So you don't have your own agreement with God. There's one route. The Gospel of Mark records Jesus' words on the cross, and this is at the third hour of darkness while he's on the cross. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, 
which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why did you lose me? He left the 99 to save the one. To save us, to redeem us little ones, he had to completely abandon his own son, Jesus, whom he loved. And why did he have to send his son to be lost and murdered and killed on a cross naked for me? Was it because I'm kind of like outside the lines? I'm not, you know, I'm just barely not perfect? No. It's because I'm a mess. It's because I need it. I need all that grace. All of it. He didn't pick up my check at dinner. He didn't pay my parking tickets. He redeemed me from a life of sin. I have broken all the rules, right, somewhere in my heart. So instead of just taking care of a little problem for me, he bled out on the cross until my problem was gone and then rose again three days later in victory to announce he did it. It's paid in full. It's taken care of. So today's question is, have you surrendered? Are you ready to be rescued? Or do you want to keep going alone? Giving it your best shot. They say, um, cute little bumper stickers, not all who wander are lost. Oh, anyone who doesn't have Jesus is lost. If you don't have Jesus, you're lost. Maybe you're holding on to something. You know, a lot of the book of Luke is about discipleship. And so you look back through these passages and Jesus would look at people and say, hey, it looks like you're still holding on to this other thing. Not going to work. You got to let it all go if you're going to follow me. All of it. It's not your own anymore. It's a decision to give up your life for his. Now the good news is, if you're ready for that choice, you can just imagine all the angels in heaven are ready to have a party for you. They're pumped up. So if you're ready to follow him and surrender in humility, not in pride, but in humility, I want you to take out your pen. We're going to circle a few words back in that, uh, back in that passage. So we're going to run through it real quick again. Chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Will you circle that word, welcomes? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully, circle that word joyfully, puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Circle that word rejoice. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing, circle that word again, rejoicing, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose one of you has a, uh, I'm sorry, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, circle the word rejoice. 
I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing, circle that word rejoicing, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why do I want you to circle all those words? Because if you're like me, and you're surrendered to God, you may have this feeling that I get quite a bit. That God isn't joyfully looking at me, God is tolerating me. <laughs> Anyone else feel like that? Going through your weekend, oh, I guess, I guess I'm not in trouble right now. Like, I guess the Lord's okay with me right now. No, He loves me. He loves my repentance. He loves when I come back to Him. It brings Him joy. It brings Him excitement. There's a party when I'm in repentance, right? Look, I mean, He welcomes Him joyfully, rejoice, rejoicing. Rejoice again and rejoicing again. There's a party for those who repent. But it requires us to come to him in humility. Now for the believer, I want you to remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. So if you'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul gives a, a notice also to the, to the Christians, right? Because it's easy to be like, oh, well, this is a great message. I hope some of the non-believers come to the Lord. That'd be great. And that's, that's wonderful. But, but Paul also says to the believer, test yourselves. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Exam Why would we need to do that? Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Is there evidence in your life that you've given it to Jesus? Is there fruit on your tree? I'm not asking if you're perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. And you're still going to have your flesh you're still going to be working through some things. But is there evidence that you in your heart have given your life to Jesus? The Bible says really clearly in the book of James that faith without works is dead. It's dead. You have this life of faith, but there's nothing, no visible marks that you've actually had any change in your heart. I'd, I'd question, have I really given my heart to Jesus? If you have given your life to Jesus, your life will begin to have signs of that. Now, don't forget, we are freely given grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus. We have no reason to boast. Again, we're not earning any part of this. But the works will show up when our life is truly surrendered to Jesus. So I'm going to remind you just back to the scene here in chapter 15 of Luke. There's a big crowd, right, around Jesus. Who's there? You've got the Pharisees, right, the super religious, proud people that got it all together. You got the tax collectors, the traders, right? The sinners. I mean, there must have been certain things about these people that they could just pick. Those are the sinners, right? You have also the disciples, right? The people that have been following Jesus around, part of his ministry. Another person at the event, Judas. He's there too. There's always a crowd around Jesus. 
But what matters is not where are you sitting, what's going on. Where's your heart with the Lord? Have you given it up? Have you given your life to Jesus? And if you have, remember that God doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you. He is excited for you. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I would ask yourself, is today the day? What am I holding back? What do I have to lose? He's done everything for me. Everything, right? So if you'll bow your heads, close your eyes. I would just ask yourself, have I given myself to Jesus? I've heard it, I know about it, but have I given myself to Jesus? If you'd like to do that today, the Bible says that there's a party in heaven waiting to celebrate your victory. That there is angels watching over you right now, staring at the Father, staring at you, saying, we're gonna bring this one in, we're gonna bring him home. If that's you, today is your day. If you want to do that, I would ask that you pray something like this with me right now. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't meet all the rules. I know I'm not perfect. I'm a mess. And I need you. I need your forgiveness. I pray you'd forgive me from my sins, that you would help me turn away from those and repent and follow Jesus. I want to give my life to you, and I want to be yours. So forgive me now and bring me into your family and celebrate now in heaven that I came home. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're sitting. If you're giving your life to Jesus, put your hand up. Don't be afraid. It's the best choice you could ever make. I see you. I see you guys. Any more? Today's the day. Now is the time of salvation. If you need to get saved, put your hand up. Awesome, I see you there. I see you. If you're in the loft, our friends will see you up there. And now I'm going to ask you, Christians, are you holding on to something that's in your way between you and God? If Jesus said, hey, we're going to go on a trip and do some work, and you go, well, let me just do this thing first. I'm not really ready to be fully following you. If there's something in your way, give it up. Let it go. Surrender nothing better than being in his hands, right? So if you have something to let go of and you just want to you just want to confess and say, I want to get back on track with the Lord, put your hand up. Let it go. The Bible says that we can come boldly before God's throne of grace. He is ready for us and he welcomes us. He welcomes a sinner. He welcomes a tax collector. He welcomes you and he welcomes me. Father, thank you for these today. I thank you for those that will watch this on the video, online, and I pray that everyone who hears this message would let go and just give themselves to you fully. And I pray that you would help us. We know that we need you. We know that you're God. We know that you can save us and that you can redeem us. And I pray that you would make our lives worthy of your name. 
Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.